tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tonight only on Disney Plus. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable. You know what? Last week I was so disappointed in myself. We start every episode with a recap of what I've been doing during my travels. And I was like, yeah, I haven't done anything, which wasn't entirely true. Like, I didn't give you the full recap of Budapest for Saturday and Sunday, but I posted pictures on Instagram, so you got the gist of it. But what really bothered me was that I hadn't done anything in London. I got back from Budapest on Sunday night, and I had been gone for 11 days. I did Paris, Vienna, and then Budapest. And I didn't do anything on Monday because I was exhausted When I'm traveling in these different countries, I do my best to walk around the city. I do sometimes like nine or 12 miles. Like my body physically aches when I get back to my hotel and after I take a shower and climb in the bed. I get up in the morning sometimes and my body is stiff just because I'm walking it so much. My waist beads are low though. The body looks good, but the body is stiff. And I was like, I need to stretch more. I bought a yoga mat. And then Tuesday, when I recorded, it rained all day. And my bad on the the pod being late on Tuesday. I didn't realize my production company had taken the day off. So I turned in the pod on Tuesday. And I woke up Wednesday and it wasn't up. And I was like, where's my podcast? And they were like, yesterday was the 4th of July. We, We take a holiday. And I was like, oh. I realized it was the 4th, but whatever. But I was feeling all upset with myself because I only have a month left in London, and I have a long list of things that I still haven't done. I got into the same situation with South Africa, and I left South Africa, and there were still a bunch of things that I didn't get a chance to do. And so I was like, I'm about to make the same mistake again. So I'm trying to course correct. So yesterday, I got up and went to Battersea. I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly. It's like, okay, so Baltimore used to have, actually, it still has. Is it open? The power plant, London has something similar. They turned an old power plant into, it's still a work in progress, but like this really high-end mall, but it's also a movie theater. It's a bunch of restaurants. They're still building a food court. I think it's only open within like the last couple of years. They built a whole community around it. It kind of looks like Atlantic Station when it first opened. All the brand new high rises. Tons of restaurants, tons of boutiques, tons of, you know, high-end stores, like I mentioned. Tons of open space, food trucks, and it's right on the water. It was really, really cute. And I was mad when I got there. I was like, I could have been hanging out here the whole time. When I was first looking for apartments in London, I actually considered being out that way. But it just wasn't an area I was super familiar with. And I hadn't been to London in like a decade. Not for any length of time. And I was like, well, let me just go where I know for sure. But I was over there yesterday and I was like, yeah, I actually could have moved over here and been good money. It's a little further out from where I am, but I came back to my house from there and it was actually really quick. I think it only took like 15 minutes. And I was like, yeah, I could have stayed out here. It's dope. And I saw mad black people. There ain't really that many black people in my neighborhood. You know, I get excited when I see black people. (laughs) Oh, and I went to 
There's this exhibit called Divas at the Victoria and Albert Museum. It said it was sold out until like two weeks from now online. And I was like, oh, they'll sell tickets at the door. And then I got there and they were like, no, there are no tickets at the door. Like when it says sold out, it's really genuinely like legit sold out. And I was like, well, in Paris, they say it's sold out. And they were like, this is not Paris. And I was like, point taken. So I figured since I was at the museum anyway, and you know, it's London in summer, so it was about to rain. I went to this photography exhibit that was actually pretty good. And then, then I stumbled into the jewel room. I don't understand how this shit is on display. I was like, all this glass got to be bulletproof. Like hundreds of millions. I would actually go ahead and say it's probably like a billion because it's 3,000 pieces of jewelry in this room. And most of them are pure, solid, heavy gold. And then I just, I ain't never seen no shit like this in my life, except in Vienna. I saw the crown jewels in Vienna. This was, I don't know if I want to say better than Vienna. It's a different kind of style, but the diamonds, the emeralds, the rubies. It's so weird when I see this kind of stuff. Like I look at it and I see the beauty of it first. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Like, look at it sparkle. Look at the craftsmanship. And then like, I get that for maybe like 10 seconds. And then I'd be like, damn, they robbed Africa and India for everything. That room alone is probably more than the GDP of some African countries. And it's probably more than the debt owed of many African countries. You could literally wipe out a country's entire debt with the diamonds in that room. Like I saw this one piece and it was like the real thing. It wasn't even a replica because they say when it's a replica, but it was like this one necklace. I'll post a picture of it. It was like 10, 15 karat diamonds. And I was like, what the fuck? Actually, it might have been 15, 15 karat diamonds because I'm like counting 10 in my head. And I was like, no, that's small. That thing was huge. Ridiculous. Stolen wealth. They did make good use of the looted shit, though. They made some beautiful shit out of it. I mean, not that that excuses it. I'm acknowledging what they did was fucked up. I'm acknowledging that they robbed the lands of black and brown people. I'm also acknowledging the shit that they made from the shit that they robbed. Beautiful. So that was yesterday. And then today, East London has this neighborhood called Shoreditch. Everybody compares it to Brooklyn. People keep saying it's like Williamsburg in London. It's very hipstery. And I was like, well, let me go check it out. It's supposed to have good street art. As soon as I got off the train, I saw like all these murals of black women. And I was like, there are black people here. I saw like a bunch. And I got good pictures of good art. And I found this Mexican restaurant. This sells soft shell crab tacos. Usually I don't eat crab away from Maryland. I just, you know, I feel away. Like we're very particular about our crab. I was kind of hesitant. It was good. It was delicious. They ain't had no Old Bay on it, but it was good. That was my day. And then I had to go run some errands because I'm headed out again on what day? Sunday. Saturday. Sunday is my birthday. We have so much to talk about today. We're going to skip good black news because is there good black news? I feel like the internet is just like a train wreck right now. Where do we want to start? I guess. (laughs) Is there a beginning? Well, let's start. We talked about last week's episode. We talked about Essence and there was an incident with a black owned bookstore in New Orleans. And they, the bookstore, were throwing an author event And Essence had the event shut down on the morning of the event, which I didn't know last episode. That's a new detail. Mm -hmm. 
I've been on the side of, I mean, not owning a bookstore, but being an author, an author at at a big publication house, also a self-published author. I still have a publishing company. I just haven't written a book in a while. And also because I used to work at Essence and literally used to work on planning the festival, just being on both sides of that coin, I understood both perspectives and how signals could get crossed. So I'm glad that in last week's episode, I gave grace to the discussion. I talked about all that had happened. I said that all of this pretty much could have been resolved with a phone call. And if they had just gotten on a landline and talked it out, then they could have avoided this public mess that it's turned into. Essence and the bookstore actually did get on the phone. And they got on the phone, I think, with Gary Chambers Jr. He's a, what is the, what is the word? How does he describe himself? I think community activist, community organizer, would be accurate. I do remember that he ran for Senate and I wanted him to win because I think he's smart and he's witty and I genuinely think he cares about Black people and he's a voice that's necessary. His video speaking about this bookstore being sued, it went viral and that's how I first learned about it. He had access to the lawsuit that was filed by Essence on the bookstore. In full disclosure, he also said that he was supposed to speak at the bookstore. I'm going to go ahead and guess that's part of the reason that he had access to the lawsuit. So Gary has been in the center of this whole melee. Since our last episode, he posted a video on his page. He said that he got on a phone call with the owner of Essence and the owner of the bookstore, and they had a great conversation and they hashed it out. I think they're going to try to do some collaborative things going forward, which sounds good. Also, Essence released a statement on their website that about said the same thing. Literally, we had a conversation. Essence acknowledged that there were some things that we weren't aware of and we might have handled things differently had there been awareness. And then the bookstore said the same thing. So it seems like they're one band, one sound right now. Um, <laughs> it also seems like they about to go after the promoter for this event. So last week's episode... If you listen to it, if you haven't, you should. I'm not doing a full explanation of the Essence versus the bookstore debacle because we talked about it in depth last episode. A friend of mine, faithful listener of the podcast, listened to last week's episode when it came out and hit me early in the morning, her time, and was like, oh no. She sent me a series of texts. She says, "Um, girl, G-I-I-I-I-I-R-L. I'm listening to the pod. Essence absolutely should be suing, in all caps she writes, the organizers of that event at the bookstore. And they still are. Remember last week I said that the lawsuit had been dismissed? So I think the lawsuit against the bookstore has been dismissed. And that tracks with what Gary Chambers Jr. said about the conversation he had with the bookstore and the owners of Essence. And then also the joint statement from Essence and the bookstore. But apparently, they still suing the organizers and with good cause. My friend says, I was one of the authors that got fucked. The bookstore was never the problem. It was the organizers. These heifers told us it was an Essence Fest event. She said the organizers called it Lit Diaries, billed it as Lit House, and they charged people between $400 and $650 to either attend the event or sell their books. She said, we, the authors that they booked to present at the bookstore, had no idea that they were charging people money. She says, those women, she's referring to the promoters, literally lied. She put that in all caps, lied. She said, I saw the emails between my publicist and them. 
they were using the Essence Fest logo and literature. She says, my publicist explained that a third party always does Essence Fest author programming. So it all seemed legit, especially since they were using Essence's name and literature. Meanwhile, the organizers also rented a booth at the conference center, then charged authors upward of $650 to present as Essence Fest authors. Here's part of the reason that she keeps emphasizing the payment. Essence doesn't charge authors to appear on the author stage or the author panels. She continues, one author showed up to the Essence official author booth and he got mad that he wasn't on stage and his books weren't present. I'm going to go ahead and guess that this man probably spent between 400 and 650 to be on the Essence stage and also probably shipped his books as someone who has shipped books. That shit ain't cheap. She says the man got so loud and in the essence lady's face that her husband had to step in and back his ass down. She says, a mess, all caps. She said, we authors didn't find out that it wasn't an Essence Fest event until 15 minutes before the presentations. When we found out the organizers got slapped with a cease and desist. She reiterates, Baldwin Books was just the venue here. It's the organizers that were violating and they deserve all the smoke. She also sent me a screenshot of the invite that her publicist received from the organizers asking her to attend this Essence event. I'm looking at it right now. It's completely the Essence logo, Essence Festival of Culture. They went ahead and added Coca-Cola in there too. Coca-Cola is the lead sponsor, has been for years. If I received this invite, except for the fact that they sent it via Eventbrite, I wouldn't necessarily be thrown off that it didn't come from an an email with Essence.com in it. But looking at this flyer, if I had received it, I totally would have thought that it was official from Essence. She says, also, for your episode on Friday, people are trying to say that the organizers took down the offending material with the Essence Fest logo back in May. Note the date of the screenshot. I pulled it off Eventbrite. It was June 30th, the day of the bookstore event. They categorically had not taken down material claiming it was an Essence Fest event. Since last week's episode, several people have written in to me about the organizers for this event. Apparently, there is a reputation of they don't have the best business practices. One of them, I can verify, works in publishing. I saw her name. I Googled it. She does work at a house. The other three, I'm not familiar with. They just said that they'd done work with them. And they were very surprised that this bookstore, but especially Essence, ended up entangled in a situation with these organizers. So the promoters, according to what I've heard, still in hot water. Bookstore, they're going to figure out something with Essence. Essence, they're going to keep on being Essence. So I believe at least the bookstore saga has come to an end. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price Priceline. I wish that was the only drama at Essence. 
I'd heard about this last week when we recorded, and I was just like, <sighs> respectability politics is one of my least favorite topics. Just because it's so subjective, everyone sets their bars at different place. And sometimes wherever your bar is set for one person may be set different for someone else based on a whole host of factors. But I'd heard the grumblings about two of the performances in particular at Essence Fest. One being Meg The Stallion, the other one being Janelle Monet. Meg performed at Essence and Meg did what Meg does, like Meg twerked. She also invited... I think it was like 20 or so women onto the stage to have a giant twerk off on the Essence stage. Janelle Monet, she's got a new album out. When she was first starting to promote the album, she was pulling her titties out. Like it was, it was all over the internet. I think she pulled the titties out twice and she declared something like 50 more years of like titties for all. Like basically she made it real clear. Get used to seeing my titties because they're going to be out for a while. Nice titties, well-sitting titties. So this occurred on the Essence stage. (laughs) The Essence brand, it's like 50 years and change at this point. 53, I think, because the magazine started 1970. Essence was aimed at a very particular type of woman. Bougie, degreed, had a little money to her. In recent years, as there have been cultural shifts about gatekeeping, is probably the right word, of who gets to be represented. Essence had to expand. And in their desire to represent Black women, all Black women, there's going to be some generational clashes. There's going to be some class clashes. There's going to be some clashes between the super Christian folk and about that life folk. And I think... That's what Essence is experiencing right now. Also worth noting, Essence debuted to my mother's generation. As those folks age out, you need to continue to build your audience. And you do that with younger people. And they need to offer programming that attracts these new people. I think that's how you end up with a Meg Thee Stallion and a Janelle Monae on the Essence stage. They're Black women. They put on great shows. I don't have a problem with them being there. From what I heard, there were people who got up and walked out because they were completely turned off. They were horrified by Black women twerking on the Essence stage. I'm just confused why you would go to a Meg Thee Stallion concert. Like, you know what Meg is? And then be like, oh my God, she's twerking. You knew she was going to twerk. You knew she was going to twerk. If you want to see Meg shake her ass, why'd you sit there for the concert? Same thing with Janelle Monet. You knew she was going to pull her titty out. If you didn't want to see her titty, then why did you go to the concert? I don't understand what people are mad about. Just because Essence let them on the stage? And Indy Ivory, and also Uncle Luke. We'll talk about Indy Ivory first. Indy Ivory, who I don't think I heard anything about since the last time she was outraged about something. But Indy Ivory weighed in on on the performances at Essence Fest for Meg and for Janelle. I'm reading this on Vibe.com. Indy Ivory asked, is everything for kids? No. Is everything for everybody? No. So when we as a culture make something like this, I assume she's talking about twerking. Could be talking about pulling the titty out. Something like this mainstream, it shows a lack of discretion 
and discernment. She continued, To those in the comments who laugh at anyone who wants these things for our culture, you certainly have that right. Just as many folks have the right to want our mainstream international export, our music, to show us in a respectful light. I'd like to go on record saying this won't age well, and that's my issue. Here's where my issue is, right? In terms of how people receive black women, you could walk around in a fucking muumuu. If people have an issue with you as a black woman or make the assumption that black women are hypersexual or I don't know, whores or any of the negative stereotypes, black women didn't invent this stereotype. And so the idea that the onus is on us to debunk it is a labor that I don't understand why we should be expected to carry. There's nothing I can do about that. No amount of of covering up gowns to the floor and, and standing stoically and singing about strength, courage, and wisdom. The truth of the matter is, is whether you're NDIRE or you're Meg, if you encounter a racist, they're going to treat you like shit. It doesn't matter if you have on a head wrap. It doesn't matter if you have on booty shorts. Putting this expectation on Janelle Monet and Meg the Stallion to be representatives of like literally half the race of American black people, it's too much. And also they're artists. They create literally art. You might not like their art. You might find their art vulgar or demeaning or whatever, but it's still art. But as a fellow artist, you should understand that they want to express themselves and they get to express themselves and it shouldn't be censored. And also, while you may not have enjoyed the concert, and apparently the people who walked out didn't enjoy the concert, there is a demographic of people. You can hear them yelling in in Meg the Stallion's video because Essence kept reposting it. Like, they doubled down. Like, we invited them. They did exactly what, you know, they said they were going to do. They put on the stage show that we expected them to put on. We're not going to abandon them because there's all this social media hullabaloo about it, which I respect very much. You don't invite people essentially to your home and then throw them under the bus afterward. I respect Essence for doubling down on their artists, especially because they're black women. Oh, Luther Campbell. So Janelle Monet, this video of her pulling her titty out makes the rounds and it makes the rounds all the way to Uncle Luke. Uncle Luke sees Janelle Monet's titty. And I just want to be clear because I said this to somebody else and my friend was like, Uncle Luke who? And I said, Uncle Luke. She's like, I only know one Uncle Luke. And he wouldn't say that. And I was like, yes. I couldn't believe it either. Uncle Luke saw Janelle Monae's titty. He said, quote, what is this girl going through? She's never been out there like this. Is it a midlife crisis? What alternative universe are we living in where Uncle Luke, Luther Campbell from Two Live Crew is complaining about a woman flashing her titties? Sir. Do, do you know you? Do you know that you were like the godfather for all this shit? Sir, you were so hell bent on your freedom of expression when they tried to ban two live crew as being sexually explicit and vulgar. They tried to stop you from producing albums, from performing, from making money. You fought that shit all the way to the Supreme Court and won. 
You said you had a right to say face down, butt up. That's the way I like to fuck. You have a whole song where that is the chorus. You have a whole song where the chorus is, ow, me so horny, ow, me so horny. You have a song called Doodoo Brown about anal sex. I'm talking about songs. This man has made entire albums about wanting to fuck. That's all two live crew made songs about. That and the song they made when they finally won their Supreme Court case. Everything else, all your songs are about it. All your videos are about it. One of my earliest memories is watching video, was it video music box? Remember you used to pick up the phone, the landline, and you had to call like a 1-900 number. And I want to say it was like $1.99 or $2.99. And you could put in a code and they would play a video. I was watching video music box and there was a video of this man. I was so young, probably like 10, if that. There was a video of this man and he was at a party and all the women had on swimsuits. And then they got in the pool and went swimming and the women's asses were out. But you couldn't see the ass because the censors put a black bar over the women's asses because they were black women. So their asses were poofy. So they were considered offensive and vulgar. Luke videos. Those women were in spandex from head to toe. There was cutout holes all down everybody's legs so you could see a ton of skin. And those women, we didn't call it twerking at the time, but essentially that's what it was, was shaking their ass. Those women danced like the rent was due in an hour. You are the king of showcasing, exploiting, whatever you want to call it, half-naked black women. And you see a video of Janelle Monet and want to be like, what is she going through? What were you going through? I couldn't believe that. And I was like, yo, Luther Campbell, he, I don't know if he Uncle Luke anymore. Luther Campbell don't want to see no titties on stage. Luther Campbell sees titties and want to be like, why is the titty out? What? What? You used to be the Luke we all knew and loved. Oh, filthy, vulgar self. And now you're complaining about titties. Never thought I'd see the day. We still need to talk about Kiki and her baby daddy, Darius. Kiki Palmer, who I adore. We've watched Kiki grow up. Everybody adores Kiki. Kiki Palmer. I guess we need to start before she goes to Usher. Kiki Palmer starts looking pregnant and people are like, Kiki pregnant. She announces for real, for real that she's pregnant on Saturday Night Live. And then everybody was like, well, who is she pregnant for? We might have known she had a boyfriend, but nobody could pick him out of a lineup. Like we didn't know anything about him. Not that it's our business either, just for clarity. But everybody was like, well, who is she pregnant for? So then she introduces us via social media to the child's father. Okay. Kiki has the baby. They name the baby some weird name that starts with an L. They're going to call him Leo. Okay. Kiki pretty swiftly loses the baby weight. And when she emerges, I want to be very clear when I say this. Kiki's always been a cute girl. Puts herself together well. The changes that this pregnancy does to her body. Kiki is now like stacked. I think she also got a new glam team. It could be the old people and they just decided to step it up. Maybe they got more to work with, but I think she stepped up her hair and her makeup team. Kiki looks amazing. She looks fucking amazing. And she knows she looks amazing. And she's been walking around in cat suits. 
She's been walking around in really tight dresses and really high heels. She's been feeling herself, which I was happy for her because you can look at a woman and tell when she feels good from the inside out, right? She has that glow about her. Kiki's been out and about. She's been twirling. For a while, she was bringing the baby and the child's father. They were all showing up together as a family for events. She recently had a girls weekend in Vegas. This brings us up to today's drama. She went to an Usher show. It's 105 degrees in Vegas. It's hot as fuck. Usher sees her. Celebrity to celebrity. He goes over to her. He serenades her. As he has done with many women at his shows. Celebrity and non-celebrity. But particularly celebrities too. He serenades her. She's all over him. He's all over her. But like in a respectful way. Usher has his arm around her. You know how men put their arm around you. They try to graze the top of your ass. He never does that. Usher's not trying to catch a Me Too charge. His arm and hand were always in respectful places. But they are pretty hugged up together. I saw it as the way anybody would act. If you got a chance to be serenaded by one of your favorite singers. Everybody's a fan of Usher. One of your favorite artists comes over to you, and celebrity or not, you get to have this very exclusive VIP moment with somebody whose songs that you know intimately, that you know all the words to. It's like a a once-in-a-lifetime moment. Also, Usher is an entertainer. Kiki is an entertainer. He's playing up the serenade. They are on stage with literally thousands of people watching with their cameras out recording. They're performers who are performing on a stage. Kiki was really into it. Usher was really into it. It was a silly, happy moment. Again, one of those once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. Remember Janet Jackson? She's still performing, but I don't know if she still does this bit in her act. But she would always pull a guy from the audience, and she would put him on stage, and she would strap him to this thing. And then she would literally like climb on him and grind on him and hump on him. And it was like a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Usher and Kiki did none of that. There was no bumping. There was no grinding. Kiki had on a very sexy dress where she had like her tushy out and she did like a twirl where, you know, she she went around and, and he did get a glimpse of the ass. It was a nice ass. I don't feel like they did anything wrong to entertainers entertaining the audience. And I'm sure that's not the first time they've met. Kiki's Darius, the father of her child, sees this video and decides to tweet about it. And about the dress in particular, he doesn't say anything about like the hugging or the serenading. He just particularly talks about the dress and he reminds her that she's a mother. And I'm like, okay, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, what does that have to do with anything? Like, yeah, she's a mother and she's also a mother who's at a Vegas show with her girlfriend. Like, I don't, a mother can't wear a dress, a sexy dress, even a dress with her ass out. Like, what, what, I don't understand. And also, I don't understand. You have her number, right? Like, she, she's the mother of your child. You know how to get in contact with her. I'm definitely sure her phone was still on. I don't understand why you're on Twitter putting this information out there. But he did. People get wind of it, of this tweet, and pretty much go apeshit. There were people, obviously, who started dragging Kiki Palmer and, you know, make this a larger discussion about Black women Um, There is a whole section of the internet who their greatest joy is dragging black women 
and complaining about how they're masculine and how they all want to dress like whores. They want Black men to protect them, but they don't want to submit or be led. They don't deserve protection if they dress like whores. So much of the complaint is about Black women dressing like whores. I think so many Black men actually hate Black women, one, but also hate that they hate Black women, but still like desire them. It's a real conflicted thing that they need to work out with a therapist and not like with black women. That's your shit in your head that you need to deal with. That's not the point. So Kiki's boyfriend, baby daddy, tweets out his critique of her dress and invites the entire internet to then critique her or then start commenting on their relationship. And that's basically what a good chunk of black Twitter, black Instagram, black TikTok. What's the new one that just started? Threads, black threads. Literally, my entire timeline on all platforms was talking about Kiki Palmer and her fuckboy baby daddy all day. A whole bunch of things happened. He said it, people start dragging him for it, and then he doubles down and was like, yeah, I said it, and he justifies it. He said something like, I don't understand why people are coming at me for being the man of my family and having morals and respect. He also referred to Kiki Palmer as his wife. To my knowledge, they are not married. It could be a Cardi B offset kind of situation where they got married and didn't tell anybody. Could be. Possible. Likely. Mm. But to our knowledge, they are not married. So people's response to him was like, wait, why are you calling a woman your wife when you're, you're not her husband? She's not your wife. Why are you commenting on her attire publicly at all? Like I said earlier, everybody was like, you have her number, speak to her directly. Why have you put us in the group chat? People pointed out that it's real interesting for a man to talk about morals and and respectability. When you impregnated this woman and she carried your child and then the baby is like four months now, to the public's knowledge, there's been nary a proposal You can't pull out morals and respectability. I mean, he did. So I guess you can. But you can't do it and be right about it when you're like not practicing it in other parts of your life. I saw a lot of people say like, you can't tell this woman what to wear. Like you're not even her husband. To which I counter, even if he were her husband, it don't mean he gets to like tell her what she could wear. It's a whole grown woman. If she's old enough to get married, surely she's old enough to make a decision about the clothes she wants to put on her body. I'm not saying never consider your spouse. If your spouse has a strong objection, I think you should consider it. But also, I don't think you're mandated to be like, you know, if he's like, you can't wear that or I don't want you to wear that, then you should just automatically go take it off. Like, you're a grown-ass woman. You know, you know what you want to wear. I saw this guy that was like, it's a safety hazard with Kiki Palmer walking around Vegas with her ass out. I'm like, sir, do you really think Kiki Palmer... A massive celebrity who's been famous for, if not 20, pushing 20 years. He got the same face from when she was Akilah in the B. We recognize Kiki Palmer. She's been in TV. She's been in films. She's been on morning shows. I mean, as in the host, not just like I appeared one time. Kiki Palmer has been in our face on a regular basis because her nickname was Kiki Keep a Job Palmer. Remember when Nick Cannon was known for always having a job? As opposed to like impregnating all these women back to back. That's a whole separate story. I'm like, do you really think Kiki Palmer is walking up and down the Vegas Strip? And if she were, 
Do you really think Kiki Palmer is walking around with no security? Do you really think Kiki Palmer showed up to Usher's show and then walked all the way through the casino like everybody else? You don't think Kiki Palmer got an escort through the back with security, her own security, and maybe the venue as well? Really? It's a safety issue. Is Usher going to do something to Kiki Palmer on stage in front of 10,000 people? Because he didn't. She's walking around for ass out, yeah. And she's walking around with security. This is the part, though, of old boy's comments that, that really, I mean, in addition to the you're a mom thing. When he doubled down on what he said, he said, uh, this is my family and my representation. I have standards. Standards, not respectability. I said respectability earlier. He said, I have standards and morals to what I believe. Then he said, I rest my case. Nigga, what case did you make? That's not what I'm upset about, though. It's the, this is my family and my representation. Nigga, who are you? The running joke is always how Audacity is on sale. I am convinced Audacity is paying people to use it. I don't even know your last name. I know you as Kiki Palmer's baby daddy. And the dude from Insecure, who I can't even remember his name. I just know he played Dro on the show. And he was also on that show. What's the show? I like the show, too. My old EIC was a producer of it. Games People Play. He did that, too. You are known as the guy from Insecure's little brother and Kiki Palmer's baby daddy. And you getting on the internet talking about you're upset about the way you were represented. Sir, no one knows you. No one knows you. We can't pick you out of a goddamn lineup. If you're not standing there next to Kiki, we don't know who you are. You dating her, being her plus one on red carpet, is really going to this man's head. To the point that he thinks he is the celebrity. And my representation. What Tommy Davidson said, who are these niggas? <sighs> this story about to get my pressure up. Because it's just, it's, it's the audacity. And all he had to do. Not embarrass her. You got one job, sir. One job. That's it. You had a great ride for all your life. The woman is in love with you. She got a baby with you. Literally, she's tweeting the day before you act and ask, I love my man, period. She wants the world to know. She's in it. Hard body. All you had to do to keep enjoying the miraculous ride that is Kiki Palmer's life was not embarrass that lady. That's it. It's not to say you can't have problems. It's not to say you can't have feelings. It's not to say that you can't come to her with your issues, your concerns, your whatever. You can. Absolutely. But don't fucking embarrass her. We've been watching Kiki Palmer since she was like 11 years old. We made it through her teen years, her late teen years, her early and mid 20s. I can't even tell you one person that Kiki Palmer has dated prior to this man. And I don't need to know. She said before that she's a private person. Stay that way. I don't need to know your business. We've not heard one scandal from her the whole time she's been famous for a good 20 some odd years till this nigga showed up. Kiki. Kiki. People are like, oh, you're divorced. You're bitter. You hate men. Blah, blah, blah. No, no. I just dated enough fuckboys in my day that I recognize them very easily now. And I want better for younger women. I don't want you to go through the shit that I went through. If I can steer you around it, if I can save you some pain and some heartache that I've experienced, I absolutely will. I want her to be better. I want everyone to be better. I posted this list. It was a list of 17 thoughts that I had about Kiki Palmer in the wake of 
her baby daddy posting this bullshit online. Also, he posted this bullshit. People went down the Twitter rabbit hole and found all sorts of crazy dumb shit that he said. He may or may not be a Trump supporter. He thinks black men who are shot by the police. I can't remember the guy he referred to. Starts with an A. Last name Sterling. His response was along the lines of like, why didn't he just comply? He said some other shit. He was talking about athletes who are involved in domestic violence cases. And he said something like, because these bitches are annoying. Was that the quote? Was It was something, these bitches are something. But it was basically blaming women who get beat up by athletes. And it was their own fault because they're annoying. I just, crazy shit. Which I wanted to yell to these men who were dragging me because I expected that. That's like with the wire once called a 40 degree day. Like I'm so used to that shit. I expect it. Most of the time I don't even respond. I just block it and keep moving. Maya Angelou once described the function of racism as a distraction to take you off course from whatever interesting thing or relaxing thing or whatever thing that you set your mind to be doing. You start defending yourself to prove that whatever inflammatory thing someone has said about you is not true that you stop doing what you're supposed to do. The function of sexism is the exact same thing. But I really wanted to say to these dudes, I'm like, you're defending a man who wouldn't defend you if you got shot by police. He would be like, why didn't that nigga comply? This is your king? But I made this list of 17 points. I was actually trying to make make an outline for what I wanted to discuss on the podcast. I'm not going to read all of them. I just want to talk about a few of them. I talked about the idea of wives as property because I think that one's really important. I will also say this, like men in the way that they're currently defining women do themselves a great disservice. And I've talked about this concept before, but they've not created a lane where women can win or feel like they're winning. So there's really no advantage to playing into whatever role that they think a woman should be. Because you can shame single women as being for the streets or being whores or hitting a wall or being unwanted. I mean, the primary function is to beat down their self-esteem so that they'll be more malleable to taking a husband and to be more agreeable to keep him. So when women marry, they go from being considered for the streets and whores to property with no autonomy. This is the reigning way that singlehood and marriage are discussed online. You say things to denigrate single women. That's also partially to reinforce the married women that they need to stay married. But then you also paint this picture of married women where like, it's okay to tell them a grown ass woman where she can and cannot go who she can and cannot talk to, what she can and cannot wear, whether she can work or not, she has to submit to you. You don't make marriage sound attractive. You make it sound like even though I'm single and you keep telling me constantly I ain't shit, I might not be shit, but at least I ain't got to deal with your bullshit. That's where a lot of women's mindset is right now. Can't make marriage look unattractive and then try to corral single women into getting married. You got to make it look good in order for people to want it. Like your branding's off. Your marketing sucks. A couple people came on my page. They read what I wrote. 
And it's all in the same gist of the things that I discussed, even though I'm not reading all the 17 points. But they were like, yo, this advice is going to keep people single. Like she's going to end up being a single mother listening to your advice. This is not pro-marriage. Should it be? How are we discussing something being pro-marriage with a man who has the emotional immaturity to put his relationship problems on the internet while they're recurring? He doesn't have the emotional maturity to fucking communicate, to pick up a phone. And people want to have a conversation about like them getting married. What? He's not ready to be anybody's husband. Probably isn't ready to be anybody's father, but here we are nonetheless. I'd also make a strong argument to you because people act like being single mother is like the worst thing in the whole wide world. Admittedly, it's not the most ideal situation, but it's better than being married to a fuck nigga. The idea that someone is more concerned about the optics of respectability, you'd rather her be married to a fuck nigga than for her to be a single mom. Is respectability that serious? Is it? I said this to a friend the other day, and I don't know if I've ever said it on here. The best thing that ever happened to me was getting married and divorced. I couldn't have said that years ago, but I can say it now. It's literally the best thing that ever happened to me. And I say that because there's so much pressure on women to get married and how your life is going to be better and your status is going to change and you're going to be received as respectable or a real adult or it somehow makes you like a better person or a better human. And it's like this goal that be considered a woman of substance or worth or value, then you need to have a man marry you affirm you, basically co-sign you. That's really what it is. But having had that quote and unquote status, having had that co-sign and realizing it changed nothing. And honestly, I went from being seen as this independent figure. We just talked about this to being this extension of my husband. Like even people who didn't know him, they just knew I was married. Like I would have opinions and people, men, especially men, would literally ask me, but what does your husband think? I don't fucking know. We don't share one brain. Like, we're aligned on a lot of things, but, like, we can disagree about shit, and it doesn't mean it's the end of earth. But I felt like property. That's not experience that everybody has. Obviously, I got divorced, and quickly, swiftly, I had to get out of that. But the reason I say that it's the best thing that ever happened to me, because people weaponize, men and women, weaponized being single. And they try to make single women feel lesser. And just having been on the other side of it, I just know what a fucking scam it is. And I'm not saying all marriages are scams. I'm saying the idea that you get married and then your life becomes better or more valuable or you become more valuable. Like it doesn't. You really just have greater responsibilities. There's some romance involved. There's nice moments, but the day-to-day of it is just more responsibilities, which is fine if that's what you want to take on. But I think people just need to be honest about that. And they're not very often. There was one other thing I was going to say. Oh, what was it? You know, he deleted his, um, his Instagram and his Twitter. I don't know about the rest of the social media, but he deleted those. And then Kiki has unfollowed him and blocked him so I don't know what's going on with them nor should I I hope I don't enough of their business has been on the internet today I don't need to know any more business about their relationship anytime soon it would be nice if they could work it out 
it's going to require a ton of work on his part because this is a gigantic fuck up. Gigantic. I don't want to see a broken family. I don't want to see her hurt. I like Kiki Palmer like I know Kiki Palmer. We've just all watched her grow up and I want the best for her. I hope that he can do the work on himself. If they could do the work as a couple, primarily he needs to go and sit with himself. This is what I was going to say. Kiki in the dress, there's no amount of covering up that she can do. There's no amount of playing small professionally that she could do or stroking his ego that she could do to make him feel like more than what he perceives himself to be. Self-esteem is something you have to work on for yourself. Your insecurities are something that you have to address. No one else can fix that for you. And it's a long, arduous process. I hope that he realizes how gigantically he fucked up. I hope that he is willing to do the work. I hope that despite not having the emotional maturity to just admit he felt insecure or to pick up the phone and have a conversation with Kiki about something that he was unhappy with. I hope that he could find the emotional maturity to apologize and go find himself a therapist to sort his shit out. Not even so he could be better for Kiki or the baby, but so he could be better for himself. The type of mofo that acts out like this can't be happy inside. It's not possible. I think that's all I have to say about that. This episode ran really long. We'll be back. I don't know when we'll be back. I might record next week. I haven't decided yet. I was supposed to be off, but I might not be. We'll see. I'll let you know. All right. Wish me happy birthday on Sunday. Don't forget. Have a great weekend and we'll talk when we talk. Okay. Bye. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done.